Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for downloading the latest episode of Positively Trek. We could not do this podcast without the support of our Patreon supporters, including Carl Morris, Joyce Marin, and Jim Stoffel. If you'd like to support the podcast, please go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, and more. Thank you so much for your support. And with that, let's get on with the show. Another day, another dollar, another day without Dan Gunther, which really sucks. So I'm doing this again by myself. But I start thinking about it. I was like, again, I, I can't do the show just by myself. I have to find somebody else. And I thought about, you know, can I find somebody like Dan? Like someone with his same profile, you know? And, I, and the word profile just kind of stuck in my head. And then, you know, I'm thinking we're talking Star Trek. And it's like Star Trek and profile. Trek profile. Trek, Trek profiles. Yeah, that kind of... Reminds me of John Kikorian, and so I invited him to join us. John, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Bruce. I see you must have gone down a very long list to get to me, but uh, I'm glad I was able to be here for you. <laughs> You're the profile. You're not a Dan Gunther profile, but you are a Trek profile. I, I do the Trek profiles. I am the profiler. I, that I, is I, true. I, I'm the one. I sit around in the FBI office with the string board on the wall and figure out all your fandom stuff. Ooh. <laughs> now I'm a little worried having you here right now. <laughs> Don't worry, I shan't have the M5 do an analysis on you while we're on the call. Yeah, I was wondering if that if the M5 would show up, and I'm glad it didn't because that that would actually stress me out. The M5, you know, because I do feel like I'd be being judged on what I like and what I don't like. Uh, he's he's feeling quite sedate right now. He's just uh, come back from vacation, so he's he's all good. Oh, great. Well, good. So in case any of our listeners aren't familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself and about the Trek Profiles podcast. Sure, sure. Uh, I have been a lifelong Star Trek fan, uh, began very young watching TOS reruns, and have kept up with it for the most part in original broadcast where I could. And uh, have never. there's never been a time I was not a Star Trek fan in my recollection. And in 2017, after being a podcast listener, actually, since the earliest days of podcasts, I go back to myself as a podcast consumer since 2006. Oh, wow. uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was a listener since early days, but I never considered doing one on my own. And after being a guest on some other shows, I hit on this idea that what really interested me in Star Trek fandom wasn't doing news or analysis or sort of current events or doing retrospectives or watch through shows, which I love all those, but a lot of that was being done. And I thought what I could do that might be a little bit different uh, and that would be interesting to me myself personally would be to interview fans about why they love the show. And so that's my podcast, Trek Profiles, which is every episode we sit down with a Star Trek fan and we ask them why in the world they love the show so much and what episodes of the show personally speak to them, uh, which is a very different question than, you know, what are, your, what are your best episodes or what do you think is the best of all Star Trek? Because you get some very different answers. 
when you say as a as a person when you look at Star Trek, what was this thing in this episode that really touched you or changed your life in some way? And when you ask that question, you get some surprising answers. So that that's my show. And uh, we've been doing it for over two years now, and uh, we do about an episode a month, and it's been great. Yeah, I really enjoy the show. And like you said, I mean, it's people who have an interest in Star Trek, but everybody has a different background. I mean, sometimes you're talking to people who do podcasts, people who don't do anything you know, on a YouTube channel or a podcast. They're just you know fans in their own right. They're cosplayers or whatever. And then you bring people who've been lifelong fans like yourself and some people who are brand new. And that's always interesting, too. Yeah, that's actually uh, the thing that I hit on that really surprised me is, you know, hanging out online just in various Star Trek places, whether it be in a Reddit group or on Twitter or wherever else, you know, various forums that are out there for Star Trek fans, wherever they congregate. Every now and then you'll come across these like public professions of the faith. (laughs) <laughs> where, 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 where someone's like, I thought Star Trek was stupid. And then my boyfriend made me watch an episode. And now I have to now I'm working my way through all 800 hours of it. And I can't stop. And I'm addicted. And I love it. And I have been so wrong in my previous heresy. Uh, please accept me. <laughs> you know? And so and so these people will get a message from me being like, hey, you want to talk about Star Trek? You know, and, and I've had some of those people on and I've been doing a continuing series. I think I had about five or six of those people that I've interviewed. And I have another one that's been recorded that I'm going to be coming out with soon. And uh, those have been very refreshing, mostly because those people have no inkling of sort of the stuff that just sort of floats around the fandom, you yeah. know, uh, because one of the things I've often discovered in doing this show, and this is just something that's really shown up for me in the careful watching of Star Trek that I do when I have a guest on, is that there's a lot of things that are in the show, and then there's a lot of things that people think about the show. And and when you question, especially these new people, all they know is what they've seen on the screen. They don't know all this other stuff, right? right so right. like some people, like just to give you one small example, sometimes people will say things like, well, clearly the Federation's a utopia. And you'll bring people on. They're like, where's the evidence? I've not seen that. Like, I've never heard of that. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've watched all of Star Trek and that wasn't quite clear to me. You know, and it's and like I, my point of view is never to say, well, you missed it, you dummy. Right. Or anything like that. I'm, I take people at their word and I say, well, you know, let's take a look at it. Let's examine it. Right. So here's some things the Federation did. That doesn't seem very utopian to me. But but that's uh, stuff that I think fans have put into their heads or people affiliated with the show have said a lot of things that people sort of adopted into their head. But when you just look at the four corners of the screen at what you see there, it's very different. And so when you when I when I interview those people, um, I love their fresh perspectives and their fresh takes. Like, you know, like you could just walk up to a group of Star Trek fans and be like, yo, Jellico, what's up with that? You know, and have people be like, oh, I hate that guy. And the other half will be like, oh, he was awesome, you know, or some, you know, Tuvix, you know, and all that. And, and you know, there's sort of these fan things that people get wrapped around the axle about. And these people don't know any of that stuff, but they but they fixate on other things. That, yeah. that even people who've been in the fandom a long time don't necessarily worry about or think about. And uh, yeah. that's that's what I'm really enjoying. That's what I really enjoy that, too. I, I didn't realize that how much that there's certain things, like you said, in fandom and certain conclusions we make in fandom that aren't in those four corners on the screen that even in my head, I think, well, this is the way it is. And then I realize when we see something in the new Star Trek that kind of counters that, I go, well, wait, wait. But then I think, wait. No, we never did see that. I just always assumed that. There's always these assumptions. And anytime yeah. I meet someone who's new to Star Trek, maybe they're not a big fan, but I'll be talking to someone. They'll say, oh, yeah, I've been watching Next Generation. And, oh, I love Pulaski. She's great. And I'll say, well, there's a lot of fans that can't stand Pulaski. And they'll say, 
I'm really, I really? love her. I think she's, yeah, <laughs> I think they're just she's awesome. <laughs> right. Here's, here's a great litmus test for this is, uh, especially when you're dealing with sort of the newer versus the older fans, just ask, uh, Hey, so was Spock the first Vulcan in Starfleet? I was just thinking of that one too. I remember hearing that when I got in. So it was in the early nineties when I really started getting into Star Trek and I would hear things about Spock being the first or only Vulcan in Starfleet. And I thought I've never seen that on television. Where did that come from? But okay, that was now in my head. But then of course, especially when we got Star Trek enterprise, there's to Paul and it's like, well, wait, I thought Spock was the first. And it's like, no, that's not on screen. Where did that come from? <laughs> it's know? just a fan invention, as is a yeah. lot of stuff. And, you know, right. and I think and I think I will say the owners of the show, uh, Gene in particular, I think he retroactively said a lot of things that influenced fans thinking uh, when he was on the lecture circuit and doing a lot of stuff in the 70s and 80s with Star Trek that I think changed how people looked at the show. And some of that stuff just sort of infiltrated into sort of the – the received wisdom of how you have to think about the show, but it's not actually what's on the screen. It's just what he said about it, which sometimes is, is very hard to square with some of the things you actually see, uh, which I don't think diminishes the show in any way. I think it can stand on its own and we don't need all that extraneous stuff uh, to say that it's great because it's great as it is. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we need to read a book of uh, you know the sayings of Gene to fully properly understand the show. Uh, right. I, I think we can do it just on its own terms. And I think it stands up. It seems that creators a lot of times backpedal anyway, you know, maybe they, they change their mind on how they want to see something they had created. And so even when they create something new or they talk about that previous creation, they give a new perspective to it. I mean, I've heard people talk about even just authors of books say like, well, the character was intended to be this, even though that wasn't in the book. And, you know, they just, or even George Lucas's star Wars has different, outtakes of how he went to do something and those counter other things he said you know so you gotta be careful with these creative people well i think sometimes too fans uh seem seem to want sort of this uh auteur idea behind the creators of a lot of shows and a lot of fandoms right i'm not even talking about star trek here i'm just talking about in the world that like whatever you see has to be sort of this fully baked properly thought out completely world-built you know, event that is not necessarily so, especially in television, they're trying to just make this thing on a schedule, right? They've got stuff to do and episodes to push out. You know, they're if they're trying to exactly match the color from four seasons ago on that one episode where they showed that other location, like sometimes they just don't have time for that, right? Right. But I think I think a lot of fans especially want that in a lot of these shows. And sometimes sometimes you get it and in some shows. And when you get it, it's amazing, right? I mean, Lord of the Rings is like that. Uh, Babylon 5 is a lot like that. So, so the examples do exist in the world, but they're actually rare, I think. And, and Star Trek, I don't think, ever promised that, uh, which is one of my things I bring up repeatedly in the show, is that, is that we're trying to cash a check that never got issued to us. <laughs> that Star Trek was going to be a completely thought out, like you know, everything makes sense, you know, totally consistent idea of like what the future is going to be like. And we understand the economics of it and we understand how, you know, money exists or doesn't or maybe it does. But maybe we have some, but like maybe you get some issue to you. But Starfleet has money, but they don't pay people. But I, I it, you know, like it doesn't make any sense, you know. And if you try to make sense of it, you can turn your brain into a pretzel. Uh, I, I don't think the show is meant to be enjoyed on those terms. It's not really about that. But 
I think sometimes people have really tried to to force this idea of what they want it to be in there. And uh, it's it's really amazing to see the contortions that some people will do. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to my friends on Reddit. Uh, there's a subreddit called Daystrom Institute, actually, uh, where where they very seriously try to analyze this stuff. And and will be like, okay, so how exactly does Ferengi culture work? And someone will post like five thousand words, like trying to you know come out with like exactly how all of this works. And <laughs> like I applaud those guys. I love reading it, but it's basically fanfic because yeah. <laughs> that's all it can be. The creators uh, didn't put that much thought into it as they are doing. Absolutely right. If you, if you've thought about this for more than fifteen minutes, I guarantee you have thought about it longer than the creators did because they were trying to create a story point. Uh, and we're thinking more about it from that perspective, not like, does this make sense to the thing we said about this race seven, seven episodes ago, you know, in in three seasons ago, uh, tangentially in that one episode and that offhand remark made by one character. And how is it fully consistent with what we're doing now? It's <laughs> that's, that's not what the show's about. And I don't right. think I, I think it's a, a mistake to approach Star Trek in that way. But that's my own personal thing. No, I agree. I, I have to admit, though, I, I'm you know, was guilty of that at some point in my fandom. As I started to see how things connected, I started to go, okay, I'm, I'm figuring all this out. But then the more and more I started to get to know things, things were contradicting one another. And I think, okay, well, how can I really say that whatever it was, let's say, established in Star Trek Enterprise should define how I should look at TOS because those are totally different creators and the intent of what TOS did shouldn't be influenced on what creators did on Enterprise, on my view of something on that older show, and so on and so forth. So it's it's a world of different creators that have nothing to do with one another, you know, as time goes on. I mean, the people who are working on Discovery and Picard and all these new series are no way connected to any of the shows that were done in the 90s, and those people weren't really even connected with the people who did the show in the 60s and even the movies. Yeah, I noticed um, when the you can't when the, connect it all. Yeah, when, when the Picard show came out, there was this weird sort of idea that like we're getting more TNG, so I want exactly more of the same thing, but not the same, but different, but exactly the same, just different, but exactly right. the same, and it better be exactly the same, but different. You're right, <laughs> and and if, if that's sort of the expectation you have in your head of like any sort of uh, follow on to these things, you're going to be in for a bad time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got to a point where I realized, because even as I read the novels and the comics, and of course there's contradictions there as even as new shows come out, they contradict those. Yeah. I just look at everything as its own thing, right? It just, it's a standalone, this story that I'm reading or this series that I'm watching is its own thing and it's connected. And I have to give it some room to contradict a little here and there, because if, if, if I get so caught up into that, I can't enjoy it. Right. You just have to take it for what it is. Absolutely, sir. Absolutely true. Uh, like if anyone has figured out how Stardates work, I understand that Dr. Aaron McDonald, who now works on Star Trek, has tried to make sense of this behind the scenes. But I am absolutely sure that there was not some intern in the TNG production offices being like, OK, we're now up to Stardate, whatever, whatever. Oh, no, no, that was the wrong Stardate. We better go back and reshoot that. You know, I, I don't think that was happening. You know, they, they went with whatever they had. Well, here's my headcanon when it comes to things like that. If the Stardates don't make any sense, and I tried to especially with TOS years ago, and it just doesn't really work. But if I try to make it sense and it doesn't make sense, that's fine because I'm in the 21st century and these things are in the 23rd and 24th century and so on. It's so futuristic that I will not understand it because my brain is too small. <laughs> you know, I'm from a, I'm a different time period. There's too much complexity that I haven't been given all the information. It makes sense. I just don't have enough information. 
Yeah, I mean, the other part of it, too, is when you think about what are dates actually for, um, it, when you're looking at a show that's off in the future in space, the idea of whether it's March uh, 2280 or June or July 2280, I mean, it, it has no bearing on what the characters look like, what they're wearing, what the season is, you know, the exterior shots, they're visiting other planets. So none of that matters, right? So if you're doing a show on Earth, you know, you have to worry about what time of year it is and what the exteriors are going to be like. And, you know, do they wear a jacket or a coat or whatever? And uh, you don't have to think about that when you're doing a show in space. It just, it's just not something I, I choose to spend my time on when I think about Star Trek. And I, I get that it's fun for a lot of people. And, yes. you know, some people try to sort it out, but it's just, it's just not my bag. Yeah, I don't need more stress in my life trying to figure those things out. I mean, I'm still kind of recovering from the idea that in the Brady Bunch, Greg moved into the attic, but in a previous season, they said he was too tall for the attic. So I've come to just live with that. So. All right. Well, well I'm, I'm glad that the Brady Bunch fandom will now be on your tail uh, for, the, <laughs> for, for pointing out this inconsistency, which I'm sure has been explained completely in uh, several thousand words uh, hurled over uh, internet forum posts uh, for the past uh, 30-something years. If there is, I haven't found it. I need to find that because I do want to read the theories on that. <laughs> I, You know, I am absolutely sure they exist. <laughs> I'll have to look for it. But, well, you know, I want to know about 55-Year Mission, which is the Star Trek Las Vegas show this past year. But before we get to that, sure, I, I know you attended and you live in Las Vegas, too. So this is a local thing for you. That's right. I, I want to get to some of these news items because it has been a busy week and Discovery Season 4 has now officially wrapped. We're done. It's in the can. Production is done. Now they're just in post-production putting the show together. And production started actually November 2nd of 2020. So it's almost been a year, which is a little longer than usual, but a lot of that had to do with the pandemic. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was reading that uh, they, they just couldn't proceed on the same schedule because everything which in TV already takes a long time in TV production. But uh, when they have to do things like, well, now the makeup person can come look at you. Oh, well, now the costume person can come after the makeup person leaves, right? You can't just have like three people working on the actor at one time and they each have to take their turns because of the COVID protocols it just makes everything longer. So it uh, was very obvious to me that it was going to be a, a longer production timeline. But hey, it's it's done now as far as uh, principal photography. So now it's all a matter of doing the post-production and the effects um, and the music and all that. But I do suspect that that's going to take quite a bit of time uh, because let's face it, right? It's a sci-fi show. Lots of uh, effects involved. Lots of computer-generated stuff has to happen. So I don't know when we're going to see it. Uh, I don't know what the timeline is for that, but uh, I'm excited to see where they go. Um, I want to figure out what's going on with this uh, far future federation and all of that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to predict that we're going to see this about this time next year. I think, you know, they, maybe a little sooner, but, you know, they, they can they got a good year to, to do all the post-production because we still have Prodigy. We still have a Picard season to air, Strange New Worlds. So I think we're going to see it sometime after those. You, you think we're going to get uh, Strange New Worlds before Prodigy? I uh, mean, before, uh, before Discovery, excuse me? I think... I'm thinking so, yes. Okay. Do you think I, differently? For, I, for some reason, I have it in my head, it's going to be the other way around, and I have no idea why. Uh, that could literally be something that I just, a preconceived notion that came out of nowhere. But uh, I, I I am very anxious to see Strange New Worlds, uh, and I, I really am excited about it. 
um, that and Prodigy, I think, are the two things I'm most looking forward to. Yeah. And we still don't really have an official date for Prodigy. There's a date floating around that was an, on IMDb. It's not, it's not official, but I think it said October 21st. That possibly could be it, but that's not an official date. I just keep waiting for a Prodigy date. And they keep saying fall, so we know we're definitely getting the fall. I just like just give me a date so I can plan. I have to plan for my excitement. I, I suspect. Well, then, if you want to plan for some excitement, plan for Star Trek Day uh, because that's going to be the day where a lot of excitement's going to happen. So um, I think you know they're doing like a bunch of panels that day. Uh, CBS is putting out all kinds of content, so I expect that we will get some announcements and some clarity on what's happening uh, after that. I'm sure hoping so. So yeah, Star Trek Day. I'm glad you brought that up. That's coming on September 8th, which is Star Trek Day. The first time that Star Trek premiered on NBC back in 1966. And I have to say that I'm very excited this time because I think September 8th is a Wednesday this year, if I remember correctly. I know it's a weekday because originally when they announced the date, I thought, here we go again. It's a weekday. And every time they do these panels on a weekday, I'm at work. It's during the day and it's hard for me to juggle. I want, I want to watch it live as it's happening with everybody else. But I was so thrilled to find out that this is starting at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 Pacific. So... That works for me. I can actually watch it live. So I'm thrilled about that. Uh, it's going to be glorious. And uh, we'll see what they have in store for us. But I'm sure we'll get some trailers and some announcements and some idea of what the how the dominoes are going to fall uh, in the next uh, few months for Star Trek, for sure. Yeah, I think you're right. So there's a panel for Prodigy. There's one for Discovery, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, Picard, and then a Legacy panel in that order. I don't know how long that's going to take, but probably two to three hours, probably about three hours. It's going to be a fun time. So I'm interested. And of course, you know what? We will cover it here on Positively Trek. So <laughs> Absolutely. For all your Trek news and information. There you go. Exactly. And speaking of Prodigy, we even got two villains named, which is yes, quite interesting. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. And I am very excited because I love John Noble, uh, who will forever be Denethor uh, to me for you Lord of the Rings fans out there. But uh, we have John Noble and Jimmy Simpson uh, who are going to be uh, doing some of the voices. And I am super excited about that because John Noble just has a spectacular voice. And I'm sure he'll be uh, suitably nasty and evil for us to, to you know, <laughs> get, get behind some uh, the two minutes hate uh, for his character on the show. Yeah, he's the diviner, a ruthless tyrant who controls the asteroid of Tars Lamora. Hmm. He wants to exploit wayward species. Yeah, and if you, if you just kind of you know put some easy suppositions together, it looks like that's the the motley crew of the, of the ship are these different people from different species. So we're just guessing that they're all probably prisoners of his and escape on the ship somehow, and that's sort of the premise of the thing. Uh, I would I would surmise based on what we know as of right now. He has this, well, Gwen is the 17-year-old progeny of his, so there's some connection between him and Gwen that he's trying to reach her or something. Right. She, she's, she would be the prodigy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right? So she would be his progeny and, or prodigy, the, the prodigy who might also be his progeny. <laughs> I know. It's so hard to say <laughs> oh, both because I want to say one or the other. <laughs> she who is the progeny and also the prodigy of the diviner 
my goodness, that's quite the grammatical construction. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it seems to be setting up the show to be her story in some way, uh, based on what we know right now. I, all that could change the minute we see something, but uh, based on what we have, that's uh, that's my reasonable guess. Well, and David Mack, uh, Star Trek author of a bunch of novels, who's also a consultant on the show, had mentioned that Gwen is his favorite character. So Gwen's the one to watch, apparently. But then we also have, as you mentioned, Jimmy Simpson, who's doing the voice of this spider robot minion that works for our villain, the Diviner, in this. So I think we've seen in the trailer some kind of little spider-like robots. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a classic trope, you know, the villain sidekick, right? <laughs> sort of the, the salacious crumb to the Jab of the Hut, you know, <laughs> sort of, except in this case, you know, we'll probably do more than just eat the stuff that falls out of his mouth, but probably uh, make comments and, you know, go forth on missions. So of the various kinds, I would imagine. So we'll see. You know who else we'll see? John Delancey on Picard. So here's the thing. I, this man worries me. Because if I were a studio, he keeps doing these cameo videos for fans and keeps revealing things. And I've mentioned here on the show, I don't think he can really keep a secret. And so, I mean, I don't think this is really too much spoilers, but he mentions to a fan that, you know, his favorite episode is all good things. And he relates that there's elements of that in to in Picard, that there's a connection between that, which isn't a big spoiler because the last time we've seen Q, I would think we would kind of pick up where we left off. Yeah. I, you know, when it comes to people like John Delancey and uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit later about Robert Beltran uh, at 55 year mission. Uh, you know, I, I think that there's sort of, how do I want to describe this in the most charitable way possible? I, I think that the studios probably know what they're going to get. And so it's sort of like never tell John Delancey anything you don't want to get out <laughs> right. there because he's going to tell you. So I, I bet, you know, it's a very maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but I sort of wonder if it's all part of like the intentional marketing. You know, it's like they sort of let the leash up loose on these ones that they know they can't tightly control. So they just kind of let them go and do their thing a little bit because they know that, you know, fans get stimulated by this stuff, you know, and sort of they poke the bear out here. And we all, what, 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 what did he say now? You know, and we all run around and, you know, analyze it with a fine tooth comb, you know, this, this, this utterance of three syllables, what do you think it actually means? And what do you think we're going to get on the show that's premiering in four days that we can't possibly wait for? Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, you know, this fan analysis of these little dribs and drabs that come out. It's, it's a lot of fun to do, uh, but I, I'm not sure how much of it will actually show will actually show up on the screen because there's so much of what an actor on any show does does not see uh that sometimes like when the show comes out and there's been cases of this where the actors are like wow i didn't even know about this whole other story or i didn't you know they cut out that whole part that i thought was the most central thing of my character like they didn't they didn't even make it into the episode right <laughs> and so you always have to just be a little careful in, in giving uh, a little too much uh, weight to things that the actors tell you, uh, because oftentimes they're not privy to anything that didn't happen when they weren't on the set. Uh, they don't necessarily know about what happened in editing, and nor do they know sort of what the makers of the show were going for when they wrote the script, because uh, they may not have actually talked to some of those people. And so what we end up with might be something very different. So it's interesting to look at. It's a lot of fun to play with. Um, and uh, I love Q and I can't wait to see what it looks like and what the show is actually going to be. Uh, I know that I am absolutely sure because this is something he can speak authoritatively about, which is I believe he said he's going to annoy the bleep out of Picard 
right. uh, which is, you know, that's Q, right? That's right there. pretty much Q, yeah, there <laughs> yeah. it is. So I, I know that that's going to happen, and I'm eagerly anticipating that for sure. Well, he's also saying that Q's going to be a little different too. And I just wonder if, because he says, you know, there's, it's a different story told by different writers. And so it's going to be a very different show Q-wise. So, but you know, John Delancey's older, you know, so maybe he's even going to approach the character a little differently. Are these changes to him, do we think has to do with what Q has maybe been through all these years? Or are they just updating the Q character? What do you think? So I'm going to take a circuitous answer to this, and I wish I could give the correct citation for this, uh, but there's this theory, and I know that um, big Star Trek fan Dr. Aaron would know exactly what this was, but there's this theory of like, why haven't aliens contacted us on Earth, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there's lots of different theories, but, but one theory is like, if you're an ant, right, you could say, why aren't the humans attempting to contact us? Right. The humans that live on this planet, why aren't they attempting to contact? Like, what could we possibly want to talk to an ant about? Right. Right. Except maybe don't come in my house and, you know, mess with my stuff. Um, There's a little bit of that, I think, that enters into this conversation for the Q, because if you take everything we know about the Q to be at face value, that, that they've been around since forever and a day, they can be anywhere, go anywhere, do anything. What in the world would they have an interest in anything to do with humans? Right. Why would they care? Yeah, And so I think one of the fundamental points of the whole Q relationship in all of Star Trek, not just not just with Picard, is that there's something in humanity that that touched him, not that he would admit this, and that for some reason that probably he can't explain for himself, there's something he saw in Picard or humanity in general, if you want to read it that way, that's changing his view of how things are in the universe, which if you look in the context of what the Q are, that's a mighty big thing to have happened. Mm -hmm. So if you take that on its own terms and think if he's gone off to cogitate on this for a few decades or so uh, for a Q, that's, you know, a five minute coffee break. um, I think it's fair to say that, that he would have some sort of uh, change in perspective based on those interactions with humanity. That, that seems, that seems right to me. Uh, because that was sort of the undercurrent in everything that had gone on with Q uh, throughout Star Trek, right? I mean, what would this super immortal uh, being have any interest in us for, right? Why would any of this make any sense for him? And uh, that, I think, would be – this would be the result of that, I would hope. But we'll see what they do in the show. That's just speculation at this point. Well, because Q had told Picard in TNG that Picard was on trial and humanity was on trial, but maybe Q is – on trial and this is the results of that and also we know from the season and from the trailer that there's some timey-wimey stuff going on so maybe there's something that time has affected q and he's trying to correct and john luke did something to mess things up for q or whatever because we are also seeing a q that looks older when he doesn't have to be older unless he's trying to mirror picard at that age. And maybe there's something that just, there's a parallel between these two characters that just links them together in their lives, that just their, their paths are always going in the same direction. Well, if there's one thing I'll say about the next season of Picard is that I believe Terry Madalus is running the show over there. And if there's anybody who could do time travel, it's him uh, because he did the amazing 12 monkeys uh, reboot that was on sci-fi channel. 
which was glorious and had so much timey-wimey stuff. I mean, it was all about that. You know, people going back and forth and back and forth. And I mean, you could barely keep it all straight, but it was an amazingly excellent show that did make sense and had sort of a uh, a, a point of view on how time travel works and, and it worked relatively well consistently with that. So if, if, if he's going to do time travel weirdness in Picard, I, I trust the guy because he knocked it out of the park before. Wow. Okay. So I haven't seen this. What's the name of the show again? 12 monkeys, 12 monkeys. Okay. So I need to check that out. That might so, be good homework. Yeah. There was a, a movie uh, with Bruce Willis. So that's completely separate in a, in a big way. From the TV show. Uh, you, you don't need to have watched the movie, although I'd recommend it. Uh, but it's not it is not really like a prequel. It's sort of a separate thing, like in the same sort of vein. Okay. And uh, it's really great. You know, and the, the whole idea is that there's these people that there's an apocalypse that happens on Earth. And then these scientists have these time travel machines. And some of them are trying to go back and stop the apocalypse. And some of them are trying to make the apocalypse even worse because they want to freeze time to be with the people that they love. And so they want to sort of have all moments collapse into one, mm-hmm. uh, which if you really think about it is a beautiful idea, right? That like you could be with the people you love for forever <laughs> in a non-changing sort of thing, right? It's, it's sort of a, a crazy vision, but you know, they're not like insane, like mustache twirling nuts. You know, they actually have something they're going for. Uh, and it's really all about these people who are traveling back to try to fix this stuff and, and the different sides and who's doing what. And it's, it's really, really good. Uh, so go, go check that out. So it's not like connected to Lancelot Link, that chimp show from like the seventies. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where the monkeys all talked and everything. I have no idea what you're talking about. man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, forget that. I, I don't know why I'm going back to like old TV shows for some reason in my head today. It's just stuck there. I think because I'm going to be talking to John Jackson Miller later and he's all into old classic TV shows. So I like to riff with him about that. So cool. but I'll, I'll tell you what I'm really excited about. And that is that they're relaunching Star Trek magazine, but it's going to be called Star Trek Explorer. And I'm not that excited about magazines so much. I mean, I, sometimes I would get them, sometimes I wouldn't. But this is coming out November 2nd, and it's going to have original fiction. That's the thing that sells me on it. And here's the other thing I'm really excited about. Because there was original fiction in the past Star Trek magazines that uh, had a lot of stories that took place in Star Trek online about the enterprise F and I didn't have all those issues. And just recently, just, I mean, I'm just talking like a month ago, maybe I was pricing to see how much it would cost for me to buy all those past issues. Cause I wanted to read all those stories. They're republishing those next year in April in a book. So I'm thrilled about that. So I'm thrilled about new fiction in Star Trek Explorer coming out in November. And I'm excited about this book. That's going to have the past original fiction from the magazines. Can you tell I'm excited? I can tell you're excited, Bruce, and I'm glad you are. Uh, and I'm excited for any new Star Trek content I think is great. And especially, you know, in Star Trek in particular, there's been a glorious history of fans making Star Trek content. I mean, you go right back to the very earliest uh, fan newsletters, which were actually dead tree paper newsletters that got mailed to your home by a human who stuffed it in an envelope with a stamp on it. Wow. Um, I don't even remember those days. I mean, it's like amazing, <laughs> right? And they, they had to carve it on a stone tablet and deliver it by carrier pigeon, I believe. Oh, uh, it's heavy. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, there was fan fiction in those very earliest episodes, uh, very earliest issues of, of those various newsletters. And, you know, there'd be like an analysis of something, some people drawing some pictures and a story and that and maybe any news or, you know, convention appearances or you know, what we would now call meetups. And that would be the newsletter. Right. So um, I'm excited to see that continuing. Um, the economics of actually trying to start a dead tree paper magazine. I, I don't know about that. Uh, but it, it, is that, cause that, is that what it's going to be? Uh, an actual yeah. magazine that's going to be mailed to people. That's amazing. Yeah. I wish him every success with it. Got to say, I'm a little skeptical, uh, that there's a market for that. Uh, it seems like everything's online, but I hope they can make a go of it. I'm not sure. I have to look a little deeper here, but I think there is, they'll probably have a digital version available too. I know a lot of magazines give you the option to have both sometimes or one or the other. I don't know. I just like the idea of when I go into like a Barnes and Noble, and I see the magazine stand and I see a Star Trek magazine there. That just makes me happy. <laughs> you I know? absolutely agree with you there, right? Seeing more Star Trek out in the world is a good thing. And uh, if people want to write stories and make magazines about it, I think it's fantastic. And uh, I'll check it out. Yeah, we'll check it out when it comes out. There'll be different articles and inside things that you probably can't find online. So it'd be, it will be something worth checking out. But here's the thing that's probably got a lot of people upset right now. This is the last thing, news item, that I want to talk about before we go to STLV. And that is Star Trek leaving Netflix. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, since 2011, Star Trek has been on Netflix in the United States. Well, the original series, Voyager and Enterprise, apparently are leaving at the end of the month, according to a release of what shows will be on and what shows are going off onto Netflix. So it would just be TNG and DS9 would be on Netflix. So John, how do you watch Star Trek? Are you watching on Netflix? Are you watching your Blu-rays? Are you watching on Paramount Plus? Uh, that's a great question. Um, obviously, all the new stuff I'm watching on Paramount Plus as it comes out, uh, but anything anything older than the very most current stuff, I'm, I'm watching off of uh, DVDs or Blu-rays. Okay. So, yeah, I, I have no interest in having that stuff uh, streamed to me. Uh, I have it all locally because uh, I want all the extras and I want all the other stuff uh, that goes along with it. So I have uh, DVDs and Blu-rays uh, of everything uh, at this point, and that's how I want to watch it. Exactly. I mean, so I have like – there's two minds for me on that because it's like you own it, right? No one can take it away from you. You always own those episodes, and they're typically going to look even better on your screen than a streaming service for the most part and sound better. But then at the same time, I like the convenience of the streaming. So it's like if I'm on, you know, I'm on my iPhone and I'm just sitting there, I mean, you know, my crunch berries at breakfast and I just want to play an episode, I can just play it on my phone right then and there. But because I have Paramount Plus for the new stuff, I can watch all that stuff there. So I don't need it on Netflix. Well, Bruce, I've heard there's a solution for that called Plex, uh, which works for a lot of people. Yes, I'm very familiar with Plex. Uh, they're a client of mine. So, <laughs> yes, I am familiar with Plex, but I don't use Plex for that. But yes, you're right. You can do that. You can put your content on Plex. You're right. And so you have the best of both worlds. Exactly. And you have the best of both worlds. Uh, th there, there was part two. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I just made that joke. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, here's the thing, too. Also, you know. 
I think it's always good to have this content on other platforms so people discover it because not everybody has discovered Star Trek. It's what helps bring people to the Paramount Plus platform. If they get into Star Trek somewhere else, they might want to go to Paramount Plus to check out the new stuff. So in some ways, so I have two things I want to say to that. One is I think some Star Trek should be somewhere else outside Paramount Plus so people discover Star Trek. Number two, I've seen many times where Netflix says, something is leaving at the end of the month and it remains there probably because right now maybe the deal's not done or they haven't reached an agreement, but they will by the end of the month. So for all we know, this stuff doesn't leave Netflix. Well, I think that that's actually the right thing to be worried about, Bruce, because I've had more people on my show who were in that, uh, that group we talked about earlier. You know, I, I never watched yeah. Star Trek until my friend made me watch an episode. Now I'm a fan. Right. Right. And those people have been consuming Star Trek through that. Um, if you put up a paywall, no matter how little it is, that's going to be an issue for some people. And being able to just look at something they already have uh, to get the episodes has been enormous. I mean, I'm reminded of this one guest I had on, uh, this young lady uh, from Malaysia named Salwa. Uh, she had just had a baby and she was getting up at all hours of the night to nurse the baby and had nothing to do while sitting there for an hour. Right. And so she would just she would just have her tablet. And that was all she had when it was the middle of the night. And and she kept watching stuff on Netflix and Netflix kept saying, hey, you, you should probably watch Star Trek. <laughs> and, <laughs> yep. and she was like, oh, I don't know about this. It's some old show, you know, and, and she's like, oh, I'll just put on one episode. Meanwhile, like four hours later, she's still sitting in the chair. Right. <laughs> and, and she discovered Star Trek that way. Um, and I think that that's a very modern story uh, for a lot of people who are coming into the fandom now. And if all Star Trek is going to be locked up with the exception of Prodigy, which is not even going to be on a channel that's for like the mass market, it's a channel that's going to be targeted at kids, right. uh, Nickelodeon, uh, I, I don't know about the discoverability of the show. I just don't. Um, and I, I don't see how I, I don't see how there's going to be an easy on ramp to getting into Star Trek if you have to pony up for all access, even though it's not that much. I, I still think that that's a, a roadblock that's going to throw some people off because I've interviewed people otherwise. Now, again, these are anecdotes, um, but time will tell. I believe that these shows will continue on other platforms. I mean, they're still going to be on Hulu and Amazon for now. I don't think that Paramount is going to put them all behind the Paramount Plus paywall. I think even I if not. that were to happen, I think they'll still bring them out occasionally and be streamed somewhere else or on broadcast or whatever it is. And, but the new stuff will remain with Paramount plus, but yeah, you got to have people discovering the series to get interest in it. Right. So to your point, like a lot of the people you've had on your show and I'm probably, I'm going to assume that you've probably met people like this at STLV. So let's go ahead and talk about that. Cause how many years have you been going to STLV, which is now called 55 year mission? Um, let's see. I, well, there wasn't one last year, 2019, I, I skipped because I had a death in the family, like right before the convention started. So I wasn't able to go to that one. But uh, but for the years 2018 and earlier, I would say I've probably been seven or eight times. Okay. So quite a background in the Star Trek convention world <laughs> out here yes. in Vegas. But I'll make you an expert. Yeah. And I'd been going to conventions since I was 10 years old. Oh, okay. Yeah. and And you're what, 18 now? Uh, no, I'm nearly 50, <laughs> which is amazing. Cause I was 12 years old about five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> 
So how was this show? I mean, okay, so you were there in 2018, so it's been a few years. So yeah. you were probably just itching to get back in there. So how was it? Did, did it oh, feel yeah. like it had the same energy as before, or was it different? Because the attendance, I would assume, wasn't as big as previous years. You know, the attendance was more people than I expected and less than what it normally was, uh, both at the same time, right? So was it fully sold out, you know, as it had been in some years past? No. Um, there was, you could tell that there were a lot less people there than would normally have been there. But I will say that there was a lot more people there than I thought there were going to be. Uh, so for myself, when I was planning to go, um, I made some very deliberate decisions. Normally I actually stay at the hotel, even though I live here, uh, because it's like late nights, every night, or, you know, multiple parties every night, you know, and then yeah, who I wants don't, to it, leave and have to come back. You just stay there. Right. Yeah. It just, it just made it more of the experience. Right. And, and not only that, but, uh, because of the, the long days, I would just typically go back to my room and crash from like four to like five thirty every afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> right. Recharge <laughs> to yep. be recharged for whatever frivolity was happening at night. Um, and so if I was going during the day, a lot of that didn't, it didn't happen if I was just day commuting. So I made the decision to commute for this one. Uh, I didn't plan any elaborate cosplays, which I, these last few years, I'd always been doing something a little bit crazy. Uh, you know, not just like a uniform, but I mean something really, really interesting. I would, I was, I would do on Saturday, which is the big cosplay day. Uh, I didn't do any of that this year. It was just, you know, Star Trek t-shirts and comfortable shoes. Um, because I didn't know what it was going to be. Uh, I didn't really want to put in a lot of effort if I didn't think there'd be a lot of people. So I was actually surprised at how many more people came than I thought would have, uh, which was great to see. Uh, there was a lot of concern about COVID, you know, mask wearing, and they had a lot of stuff that was floating around online that that creation had put out, the people behind the show about, you know, their COVID protocols and all that. So people were wearing masks. Uh, people were... You know, you, you had to be careful when you would approach people, kind of like, can you shake their hand or do you fist bump or do you hug them? And sometimes, you know, you'd put your hand out for a fist bump and they'd want to come in for the hug. And, you know, I I, I love a lot of my Star Trek friends and I, I want to give them a hug. And so that was great uh, when, when we could do that. But you just didn't know what some of the rules were. But overall, I would just say that, you know, the, the COVID stuff wasn't a big deal. It really wasn't. Um, people were doing what they were supposed to do. Uh, for what I saw, for the most part, and people were wearing masks. And, you know, by the way, big shout out to all the cosplayers who, like, incorporated those masks into their costumes. Uh, A-plus work. Uh, really well done. There you go, yeah. Um, I've seen some of those pictures. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was just it was just great work. Um, and so uh, that's as far as the attendance uh, was really surprising how many people there were. Uh, but people were mostly following along. Um, some of the talent uh, didn't come. And, you know, so some people either didn't come in the first place or they were signed up and then pulled out. So I don't know. I don't have a basis to know how much of that was due to COVID or not. But so we did miss a few people. Um, we had a couple of people who were participating remotely. There wasn't too much of that, but there was some uh, from time to time. But overall, it was great. And I, the, the one thing that I am now more convinced of than ever, uh, and this is my own personal thing, uh, this may not be everyone's experience, but the way that they have 55-year missions set up is there's, there's three main theaters. There's the main theater, main theater, uh, which is the one where all 6,000 attendees can go in and sit down and get a guaranteed seat. Uh, then there's the DeForest Kelly Theater, which is 
you know, much, much smaller, but they have sort of, that's sort of the secondary stage. And then they have the, the Roddenberry stage, which is sort of the third size stage. And that's much more intimate sort of cabaret style uh, shows. And uh, sometimes it is actually cabaret, like Chase Masterson actually does a cabaret act at night yeah. <laughs> in there. And that's where the bar is. Um, the the longer I've been going to STLV, the less interested I am in whatever's going on in the main theater. Um, I've seen all the actors. I've heard all their stories. Now, if there's like a new show and they're, you know, they're coming out to talk about something, I mean, th- I'll go see that stuff. Yeah. And I'll, I'll go to see that stuff, even if it's just the same old thing, if like nothing else is going on. But the most interesting stuff is always happening on the second and third theaters for me. Um, and yeah, I that's, can see that. Yeah, that's just where you see the stuff you haven't seen before or something that's just totally new or weird or just, you know, off the beaten path. Yeah, uh, I get that because it's like you can only see George Takei so many times talking about a lot of the same story. I'm just picking on him, but like there's so many actors any of them, yeah. that I've seen for years on stage or on on other shows on YouTube or something that it's like you're hearing a lot of repetitive stories of the years of them doing stuff. So yeah, there's all these little side things going on at the show that are different and interesting. Well, the, the way I describe it is this, you know, and, and this is, I, I know that this sounds negative and it's not, it's, it's really not. It's just that the actors that we see on screen have a very limited perspective of the show, right? They know their lines, they know what it's like on the set, you know, and they, they have some access to the other people on the show. But but oftentimes, you know, you see fans asking them these questions about, you know, what does this all mean? It's like they have no idea. <laughs> right. right? It, it, but but yet on the secondary stage, there's some creative who is actually involved in making the whole thing that has like a, a, a you know, that, that you pull the camera way back and they have like that that 5000 foot perspective. And, you know, there's 100 people in there watching them. And there is, you know, a thousand people in the main theater watching the actor who was on TV, who was actually on the screen. And like I said, it's not a criticism of the actors. We love them. You know, they're, they're great. But they don't have that perspective. And you go see these other people that are on these other places, uh, you know, and they're able to give you an introspective yeah. uh, on things. that They're they showing you blueprints of something or some behind the scenes photo or, yeah, stuff you never heard of or, or wouldn't be familiar with. Yeah, there was, uh, in fact, one of the ones I went to from this time, and I'm going to absolutely forget the gentleman's name uh, at this point, but I, I could look it up later. But uh, he was the sound editor uh, for, uh, he, was, he was a sound editor on Star Trek The Motion Picture. Oh, wow. And in fact, this is the funny story he told, is that, is that if you go back, and you can probably find it on YouTube, you can find the trailer for Star Trek The Motion Picture. The engine sounds of the Enterprise was his audition reel. Like that were sounds he created in his own little studio to get the job. And they just pulled that sound out and used it in the trailer. I know the sound you're talking about. Yeah. Right. Those are all sounds this one guy made as an audition reel to get on the movie. And and he was actually, he'd done many other films that you would know uh, besides Star Trek. But he was talking about all that he would show a little clip from motion picture or from uh, Star Trek 4. And he would talk about how he made the sounds and what was going on and like, all the different parts of it. And it was probably one of the most interesting panels I'd seen in a while. Like he gave, he gave all kinds of great details. Like here's just one little taste. Um, he said that Star Trek four was one of the most interesting films he'd ever worked on in sound design because it was the only time I might be overstating that, but I, maybe, maybe it was the first time or it could be the only time I don't remember now. Uh, he said where he had to have the sound design done before principal photography. Normally sound design is done after, right? Right. Yeah. But it's that it's that Leonard Nimoy, who was directing the film, wanted the whale sounds to be played in real time on the set. 
Oh, okay. For the actors to respond to. He right. wanted it to be real. And so they had to have all the sound work done, you know, and, and locked in. You know, this is what the whales are going to sound like in the movie, right? They, they, they did not want to go back and redo any of that because they wanted that actual sound to be played and showed the actors responding to it. And they wanted all that done in camera. Uh, so like little bits like that are like really insightful and interesting bits. Um, and so that, that I really enjoyed. Uh, there was a, a guy who, is undoubtedly what you might find at an SCA meeting. If people know what SCA is, the Society for Creative Anachronism, um, these like uh, if you go to a college campus and you see a bunch of guys like uh, dueling with medieval swords, wearing armor, uh, that's probably your local SCA chapter. Uh, <laughs> Have th- you been this- involved in those? Uh, I, I, I know, but I know who they are, and okay. they're they're all friends of mine. So I'm <laughs> SCA adjacent. Um, <laughs> These uh, he he was giving a lecture on the anthropology of Klingon weapons. Oh, that's and cool. and, and so this guy was giving like a really deep dive into like why the Batleth might look like it like it does. You know why Klingons don't use ranged weapons. Uh, why the Batleth has that shape. What are the different kinds of Batleths we've seen in the show? What does that tell us about who wields them? Uh, what kind of anomalies have we seen in them, and what those mean, and like how the Mechleth is related to that, and you know, and and this guy had it all thought out with an amazingly great PowerPoint deck, which is like something you'll very rarely hear me say, um, just because the kind of work I do, I deal with PowerPoints a lot, and for someone to put together a good PowerPoint deck, that's a plus. So. Yeah. And it was just amazingly wonderful. And that was on the uh, Roddenberry stage, you know, so people are like noshing at their lunch and watching this guy. And uh, he gave a fantastic talk. Uh, So that was just wonderful. Uh, There was an improv show that I went to one night at uh, the DeForest Kelly Theater where uh, this improv troupe sang a song as the Bridge of the Enterprise about gaseous anomalies and then did a whole improv show with stuff from the audience. uh, And it was just insanely funny and enjoyable. Um, That was new. I don't think those guys had been there before. Um, They, yeah, karaoke was always a big deal at the convention, uh, but they couldn't do karaoke because of the singing. So they had to replace it with something. Uh, They could sing through their masks, right? It was a, it's a thing like they didn't, singing was, is not a recommended activity because of the, because of COVID. So they they didn't okay. want to do that. Yeah. So they replaced it with, um, Star Trek bingo. Oh, and so, okay. they, and so they had Connor and Dominic doing Star Trek bingo. And oh, I, I saw some of this online. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think Dominic had ever done bingo before in his life and didn't know how it worked <laughs> because it was <laughs> He he kept like trying to have fun calling out the letters and with just a combination of like the terrible acoustics and you know his accent and playing around. I don't think so. They they got someone in there who would repeat everything he said. <laughs> so he'd go in there and crack a joke, and then this this uh, young lady from Creation would go G forty three. So oh, yeah, man. Now, see now you're making me feel bad because I was like, you know what? I think it's because I kept debating back and forth. Do I go? Do I not go? And other things came up in my life that made me not go anyway because like i had to move my daughter to university and whatever but i also had a colonoscopy that was fun too but anyway oh uh, goodness (laughs) but now hearing all this it's like because i start thinking well i probably didn't miss that much but hearing all this really makes me miss the fact that i didn't go because even though it's not an official licensed star trek convention anymore because quarks isn't called quarks it's now called jimmy's right i mean it's jimmy's like, place mm-hmm. i thought it would be really kind of weird with covid and without the license and i thought attendance would be down 
but it still sounds like it was a really good show. Now, our, our Thrill overlords took great advantage um, and made sure that, that everything was great. So may the blessings of Thrill be upon you all. <laughs> I need to find out about this improv troupe because I do improv and I've been doing improv at Star Wars Celebrations the last couple of shows. So I'm involved in that group. I need to find out about the Star Trek group. I want to get involved in that one. Yeah, I, I tweeted at them, actually. Uh, so if you want to go through my tweets, I actually tagged them. Uh, they, they had it's some kind of Star Trek related Twitter handle like US at USS Improv or something or, or Improvise or something. I, I'd have to go back and look at it. But uh, they, they were uh, they have a Twitter account, so you can definitely follow them there. But I just want to say one little thing that was actually that this is so bizarre. But this was one of my favorite things at the convention. And it's so such a little thing, uh, which is that. They told us to go to the Roddenberry Theater at a certain time for a spe- for a special Lower Decks surprise. Okay. That, that's all it was. Like, we didn't know anything more than that. So you had to be thinking, oh, we're going to see like a scene that we haven't seen or a trailer or something or some announcement. Something. Right. Something, right? Or so actor. we didn't know. We didn't know. We just didn't know what to expect, right? So we, right. we went there. We all sat down. And uh, I was sitting w- w- with uh, a friend of mine from Trek Corps. And we're just like, what's going to happen? I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, it's a bunch of other people, right? It, it, things were running late. They didn't start on time. But they screened the first episode for us. Oh, they did? Yeah. That's surprising yeah. to me. Which is very surprising. But yeah. um, I have always said this, whatever the topic of conventions comes up, which is one of my favorite memories of the early convention days was early conventions used to always have a screening room. Yes. Where they were just showing episodes 24-7 and you never knew what you were going to get. You didn't know, like, you know, you could get a TNG season one episode followed by TOS season two followed by animated series, right? I mean, it was, there was no rhyme or reason to it, but it was just episodes back to back to back to back. No host, no introductions, no nothing, right? Just bring your popcorn, sit down, watch Star Trek. Right. And I just loved, loved, loved that experience of just sitting in a room full of truck nerds and watching a Star Trek episode. Yeah. Um, and so there was that. And there was also a room party uh, where I watched some Star Trek too. So that was just some of my favorite bits of the convention was just sitting in rooms with other Star Trek people, enjoying the show. It's yeah. such a small thing, but it's a thing that I loved so much. And I just wanted to, to say how much I love that and I'm glad uh, you, appreciate yeah. all those people who were there. I'm glad you brought that up because that to me really is what a convention is about is just hooking up with other Star Trek fans and and making new friends and and sharing those experiences. And like you said, just like going to somebody's room or going to a screening area and watching with other fans and hearing their reactions and sharing those experiences. I think somebody who's new going to a convention thinks, oh, it's going to be great to see the celebrity on stage and maybe go into the vendor's room and buy some stuff or whatever. And those are great too but really when it comes down to it is those connections those are the things i have left with is the the highlights of every convention i go to yeah and that's i'd say was the biggest downside i mean you know talking about all the things that i loved right which i went through um the thing that i missed was all my trek friends that were normally there and weren't there right um and there's so many i don't want to start listing people uh but if you're out there and you know me you're you're one of them right <laughs> and and just being able to hang out with those people and have a cocktail at masquerade and talk about what they thought about the latest season or even just what's going on in their lives you know completely outside of star trek uh, that's the part that i missed uh because for me at this point in my life and at this point in my fandom uh star trek is about the other people 
in my life that that loves Star Trek too, you right. know, and that's just as important to me as the show. And it was great for me to see the people that came, but I really felt it in my heart that the people that I wanted to see weren't there. And I'm not talking about the actors, actors or celebrities, but it's all those people that we miss. Yeah. Uh, so just like, um, you know, Captain Kirk said in Star Trek three, right. To absent friends. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I know really what you're saying. It's, it's all about me is what you're really saying in there. I can read between the lines, John. I, I know it's, it's because I wasn't there. I know your humility is a tremendous thing to behold, Mr. Gibbs. <laughs> so, Hey, do you think you'll be at the official Star Trek convention in Chicago in April? 100% not. Uh, I absolutely will not be attending. Um, and that is not a statement of uh, negativity or anything like that. I wish I could go. Um, it's just that I'm going on the cruise. <laughs> oh, okay. And the cruise gets back five minutes before the Mission Chicago event begins. So I am not going to be able to do both. Um, the thing about STLV is that it's during the summer when the kid's out of school so uh, for me to go to the cruise, it puts a lot of stress on the family because I'm the one that does the carpool and does a lot of the school stuff with the kiddo. So if I'm gone, the wife has to pick up that slack. And if I was to come home and then tell my wife I'm going to be getting on another plane in a few minutes and going to another Star Trek thing, um, that would be the end of the Trek Profiles podcast and probably the end of Mr. Trek Profiles. So, yeah, that's a little uh, much. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't I can't do both. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, time and quatloos. So. I'm looking forward to the cruise, though, and I think that's going to be a tremendous uh, blast. But uh, and I hope that everyone has an, a, a glorious time at uh, Mission Chicago. Um, I think it's going to have a very different vibe than STLV. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, just because it's not going to be all in the same hotel, it's going to be spread out a little bit. You know, I think there's going to be a lot more commuters um, than would even people who are staying in Chicago are going to be commuting. Right? They're going to be coming from other hotels, which might not be right there. Um, at the, at the convention center. So um, I think it's going to have a very different vibe, but I'm sure it's going to be a great time. Yeah. I went to a star Wars celebration at McCormick place in Chicago just a few years ago when, and repop the same organizers were doing that. So this is like a repeat for me, but it's going to be star Trek. And I think you're right. It's going to be a different vibe. You're not all in one hotel. Cause I remember at star Wars celebration, we were spread out. I mean, I, my friends were scattered at different hotels for me. And I mean, not even just within walking distance. They weren't even across the street. Like, it's like, well, I'll see you at the convention because we're not near each other. I'd get on the subway and ride a couple stations there. So, yeah, totally different experience. But I want to ask then, I know you're not officially part of 55-year mission or creation, but do you happen to know what the plans are for next year? Or is there going to be another STLV? Oh, it's already announced. It has been oh, announced? Yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's definitely, yeah, that's it's not a secret. It's It's... Definitely announced. It was in the program. <laughs> okay. Well, because so, yeah, I wasn't there. But is it going to be at the Rio? Because isn't the no. Rio going through some changes? Yeah. So the Rio has been bought uh, and it's going to be turned into a Hyatt. And and so next year, it's actually going to be undergoing renovations. So the property itself is not available. So it's not a matter of they couldn't uh, hold the convention there because of somebody else had booked it. It's a matter of that the place is going to be under refurb. So it's going to be next year at Bally's, uh, actually on the Las Vegas Strip. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be interesting uh, because Bally's is an older property on the Strip. It's Wasn't also it going to be there last year before it got canceled because of COVID? No. Was it? Where, no, it was going to be else? at the Caesars Convention Center, which is behind the link, oh, okay. uh, which is further north. Yeah, that's, that, right. that's on the other side of, of, of uh, uh, Flamingo. So it would have been a little bit further north. Yeah. And... Um, 
it was so, but that's a brand new convention center. Uh, so it, it would have been really interesting to have been like one of the first shows actually in that convention center, but COVID was still running high. So they canceled that, but, uh, no, so it's going to be in Bally's at the Bally's convention center. Um, the other thing too, and I can actually look up the dates here, uh, is that not only is it going to be next year, it's going to be in August next year, but it's going to be much later uh, than it normally is. So I want to say it's going to be that last weekend in August. Uh, so like the 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th, uh, which is unusual. So for me, that's going to be a problem because my kid, we start school here in the middle of August. So my kid will be in school for that. So that'll be uh, something I'll have to try to manage and navigate. So I don't know if I'll be staying in the hotel, but I will definitely be there. Yeah, I know our friend Amy Nelson was complaining this year that, you know, she's like, oh, no, they, if they push it later, you know, because she's a teacher, you know, it's harder yeah. for her to go. And uh, I, obviously, I won't be able to bring my family, even though they probably wouldn't go anyway. But maybe I'll be there next year. <laughs> well, for her in particular, it's that not only was school open, but it was the first week of school. And you can't right. really skip out the first week of school. You know, I mean, I don't know her. She can speak for herself, but I, I suspect it might be different if it's later. Um, but definitely the first week you can't skip. <laughs> but for me, I'm going to have to figure out what I want to do. Maybe I'll just uh, stay, you know, for a few days uh, over the weekend. I don't know. We'll have to figure it out. I got plenty of time for that. But it's definitely going to be here. And they they said, I believe we have Gary from Creation on the record. Um, I believe or I believe over on Trek Geeks, he did an interview over there. And I think he said they're going to try to bring it back to the Rio the year after that. But we'll see. There's there's no guarantees. The refab Rio. Whatever you think about the Rio or whatever it ends up being after it's a Hyatt, um, the nice thing about it is that it's on the other side of the highway. And so we're all kind of there in one spot. And everyone is sort of staying at that hotel or the Gold Coast right next door. And so we're all kind of off in Star Trek summer camp together. <laughs> when you're going to be in the middle of the strip, it's going to be a little bit different, I think, with people staying all over the place, coming and going. I don't know if it's going to have that same kind of feeling. Might be a little bit more of that like Mission Chicago flavor coming to STLV. We'll have to see. But I got a question for you, Bruce. Yes. Uh, which is if you attended Star Trek Cel uh, Star Wars Celebration, uh, which was a read pop event, how much time did you spend waiting in lines versus actually attending events? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Well, that is a really good question because that's the thing I liked about STLV because I could always get into any session I wanted to. There was no problem with that. But when Right. I would that's the big to, difference. Yeah. That's a big difference. But with Star Wars Celebration, you're right. There was getting in line like an hour or so before whatever it is that you wanted to go to. Sometimes you can't get in because they cut the line or... Uh, they this last one they did in Chicago, if I'm trying to remember correctly, there were certain events that you it was almost like a lottery system. You knew ahead of time which ones you got into and which ones you didn't. And so there were certain ones I wanted to go to that I knew before I got there that I did not have a pass to get in because I didn't win that lottery to get in. But I found little tricks to get in. <laughs> so I did was able to get into most I wanted to. I know how to play it. Uh, but also I was also press, so I had a press pass. So that helps sometimes too, but yeah, it's not as easy. I mean, the thing I loved about STLV, it's like, Oh, I want to go to this. I can go. There's nothing that prevents me from going into the session and sitting down. There's nothing that prevents me to go into the vendors room. like everywhere I want to go, I can go, but I'm not expecting this to be like star Wars celebration because star Wars you know, unfortunately has a bigger fan base. <laughs> I don't know if the Star Trek one will be as intense as that. I'm hoping that we can all get into certain things without standing in lines or doing lotteries. 
The uh, one little piece of advice I was giving, and I, feel free to tell me that this might be wrong. So, it, and it might be based on what you're saying, but uh, for people that were going to Mission Chicago for the very first time, uh, which of course it'll be everyone's first time, I would imagine. Uh, there's no reason to even say that. You're not making much <laughs> sense, John. Um, but for people who are going to that, the, the one piece of advice I'm giving them is, you know, I would try to avoid um, photo ops and autographs. Only because you have to wait in line for so many panels that like you could literally spend this whole convention standing in lines if you go and sign up for like 10 different autographs and like eight different photo ops. Um, you're just going to be standing in line like for this entire thing. And if that's what you want to do, it's OK, but just know what you're getting into. Um, so I, I don't know if that's uh, consistent with what your expectations are, but that's sort of where my head's at for it. I rem- I've only done one photo op at a Star Trek celebration and I was giving a time to show up. And so I didn't have to wait in line, but probably more than 15 minutes. So that wasn't bad, but that was, okay. that was a, quite a while ago. I haven't done it. That was probably in 2015 and that was with Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher together. And, oh, wow. but I haven't done one since. So I don't know if it, it's gotten bigger. Let's just say this. When the first one I went to was in Anaheim in 2015 it was more manageable. Yes, there were lines. There was all that stuff. I went to the one in London the next year. It was really good. By the time it got to uh, Orlando, so yeah, I went to Anaheim and then London. And then by the time it got to Orlando was after the new movies had come out and they just couldn't handle the crowds. It was just, it was the worst convention <laughs> I went to only because there was just too many people and they couldn't accommodate. I had friends that camped out overnight just to get into a session the next, next day and still didn't get in. It, it oh was, my goodness. it was that bad. I mean, just the line, I remember getting in line one morning at like three thirty four in the morning just to try to get in a session. And I ended up in an overflow room. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. It got better in Chicago because they learned from that to manage the crowds. And again, I'm not expecting the crowds to be as big for the Star Trek convention, but uh, yeah, be prepared. But I think Repop, I've, in my opinion, does a good job, but if the crowds get too big, it can be a bit of a disaster, but I'm not expecting that for this. Okay. Well then that's a hopeful sign then. So that's good. Yeah. So, but I'm sorry that you won't be there, but I hope that I get to Las Vegas next year. Well, I might see you in Vegas sooner because I'm going to the consumer electronics show in January. Oh, wow. Yeah. We'll, we'll meet up for some uh, Altier water or Romulan ale. There you go. Right, we should do it at the Rio just one last time. Absolutely. We should do that. <laughs> That'd be great. So, well, if people want to follow you online, where can they find you? Oh, they can just look up Trek Profiles. Uh, they can check out my show at trekprofiles.com. Uh, you can listen to every episode we've ever done uh, right through the web browser on my website. And you can also find the show on every place you get your audio. We're there, Trek Profiles. And I'm most active on the social medias on Twitter, uh, at Trek Profiles, amazingly enough, uh, where not only do I talk about Star Trek pretty much all the time with a little bit of cop, uh, pop culture thrown in for fun, uh, I also live tweet my viewing of Star Trek episodes. Lovely. I love that. And you do a great job interviewing people. I really appreciate the talent that you have there. And you have a great voice, too. I like your voice. Oh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, something nice that I can do on audio that uh, if we were on a, a video platform, I'm afraid the magic white smoke would emanate from everyone's devices and that would be the end of everything. Uh, so I I, I, I'm glad I'm glad that we can uh, deliver this service via an audio medium. <laughs> I hate my voice, but whatever. So <laughs> I can be found on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underlying Rex. And I'm occasionally on literary treks reviewing some books, of which, of course, we review books on this show, too.
2022. And I'm doing the Star Wars Report. This is the last season, the last year of Star Wars Report after 11, 10, 11 years, something like that. Closing shop in May. And uh, that's about it. So thank you, John, once again for joining us. And thanks to our patrons for all your support. And thanks to you, the listeners, for listening. And I hope we can brighten your day today. I think we had a wonderful conversation. And you know the message at the end of every episode is to stay positive. Hey, hey man, you, you, you didn't uh, – do you know what I was referring to when I said Threll bless us? Do, do you know what this is? It, it sounds familiar. I saw it somewhere. So, oh, man. This, this was like the, the funniest thing at STLV that, that, they, um, that they threw at us that no one knew what it was. So tell us about it. <laughs> so they can't say Star Trek anymore, right? Right. They can't because they don't have the license anymore. And they, they can't use like the Delta logo. They can't use any sort of Star Trek iconography. So they came up with this thing called the Thrill. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> and they have a logo for it and they had images of the Thrill. Like they look like these kind of beings. And and so like, you know how they used to have like the Borg regeneration alcoves and you could take your picture in them? Yep. I remember those. At STLV in the hallway. Yep. So like the sign next to it says Thrill Telecommunications Conduit. And so like, because they can't say Borg, you know, alcove. So, so they came up with this ter- term called, th- so like a bunch of us who were at the convention just decided to mock the shit out of this. And so every time on social media, we would be like, Thrill bless you. And if you um, th- look at some of the photos, like of the, sc- of the screens, like that were hanging down in the main theater, they would always have this weird logo in the corner. That was the Thrill logo. Nice. And they just had like the, the um, you know how like in the theater they would have like these lights on the wall with like the, the Delta or like 55 year mission and, you know, like they would have the Thrill logo everywhere. Yeah, it looks totally different. And they even had like posters up in the lobby, you know, like the Thrill are here, you know, and it's like, what the f- is this? <laughs> you know, was- yeah, because I saw banners with different uniforms that don't look quite Starfleet, different looking ships that aren't Star Trek. It's just a random thing they made up. So yeah, it's I I, I decided that I'm going to adopt it and uh, use it regularly, uh, mostly because I thought it was hilariously stupid and wanted to amuse myself. <laughs> Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.